0: following sermon was recorded live at Foundation Church of Fredericksburg in downtown Fredericksburg, Virginia. If you can hear my voice, you can find your way back to your seats. We'll go ahead and get started. Please grab your Bible or a copy of God's Word and open to Jeremiah chapter 17. We're going to begin our reading in verse 12 of chapter 17 in the book of Jeremiah through to the end of the chapter. And as I finish reading, as always, I invite you to give thanks in response to the reading of God's Word. Verse 12, it says, A glorious throne set on high from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth, for they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for you are my praise. Behold, they say to me, Where is the word of the Lord? Let it come. I have not run away from being your shepherd, nor have I desired the day of sickness. You know what came out of my lips, it was before your face. Be not a terror to me. You are my refuge in the day of disaster. Let those be put to shame who persecute me, but let me not be put to shame. Let them be dismayed, but let me not be dismayed. Bring upon them the day of disaster, and destroy them with double destruction. Thus said the Lord to me, Go and stand in the people's gate, by which the kings of Judah enter, and by which they go out, and in all the gates of Jerusalem, and say, Hear the word of the Lord, you kings of Judah, and all Judah, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem who enter by these gates." Thus says the Lord, Take care for the sake of your lives and do not bear a burden on the Sabbath day or bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem. Do not carry a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath or do any work, but keep the Sabbath day holy as I commanded your fathers. Yet they did not listen or incline their ear But stiffened their neck that they might not hear and receive instruction. But if you listen to me, declares the Lord, and bring in no burden by the gates of this city on the Sabbath day, but keep the Sabbath day holy and do not work on it, then there shall enter by the gates of this city kings and princes who sit on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses. They and their officials, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And this city shall be inhabited forever. And people shall come from the cities of Judah and the places around Jerusalem, from the land of Benjamin, from Shephelah, from the hill country, and from the Negeb, bringing burnt offerings and sacrifices, grain offerings and frankincense, and bringing thank offerings to the house of the Lord. But if you do not listen to me to keep the Sabbath day holy and not to bear a burden and enter by the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle a fire in its gates and it shall devour the places of Jerusalem and it shall not be quenched. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we ask now that the time remaining we have together to sit under the authority of your word, to heed its instruction and to see in it the the path of life and of joy for us. God, would we be so willing and available to hear and receive it that we intently would sink our, our mind's attention and our heart's affections deep into it, that we would be changed by it and ask by your spirit that these commands and the implications within these words would reverberate in our lives through obedience and in praise and in submission. Pray, Father, for those who are unable to gather and worship with us pray, God, that they would be encouraged where they need to be encouraged and confronted where they need to be confronted, but drawn closer to you through the work and the leading of the Spirit. And Father, I ask that you would, above all, glorify your Son, Jesus, in our lives and in this church. It's in his name we pray. I think, for for those who have ears to hear this morning, that today's particular message has the ability to radically transform your faith. And I don't say that because I've delivered some really smiffy and well-crafted sermon I say it because this particular message at the point in Jeremiah's scroll contains a powerful antidote to the sickness of our hearts and of our world. We're going to be speaking this morning about the Sabbath. You may have picked that up from the text as so we've read it. and The Sabbath is an often misunderstood concept in the scriptures. Christians today, many of them, will hold that we, as New Covenant believers, have a a Sabbath to keep. Some will say that, no, we're not obligated to keep a particular day of the week, that Christ is our Sabbath, or that the rules and the commandments of the Old Testament have been fulfilled, and therefore, whatever the laws were under the Old, they've been fulfilled and no longer are binding to those under the New. Still, there are some today who practice the actual seventh day, as a Sabbath, to keep it holy. Though they may not indeed be Christians, there is much confusion and debate about what the Sabbath means, and what it means not only in its keeping, but also what it means in its goals and its purposes, why it exists, and how Christians are to embrace and understand and approach the Sabbath today. Well, what I want to submit to you is that under the both- New and Old Testaments, in the Old and the New Covenants, the church, that is the people of God, the congregation of the righteous, is a Sabbath institution, meaning that we are shaped by and governed by the same principles of Sabbath in both ages. Now, if you not understood or have not really fully studied what Sabbath means, this is simply the Hebrew word for seventh. It's what God did on the seventh day of creation. He rested, it says, from his work. On the first day, of course, he created the sky, created light, separated it from darkness. He continued to create and fill the earth with land and sea He populated the land with shrubs and the sea and the sky with its animals. And on the sixth day, He created the living creatures on the land and man. And then on the seventh day, it says, God rested. Now, of course, God doesn't have a body that would tire or get exhausted the way we do. And so when it says that God rested from His work, it cannot mean that God rested because He required recovery, that He was tired and was in need of rest. No, God rested, it says, in Genesis chapter 1, not to recover, but to rejoice in His creation. God declares, after all six days of creation are done, that His work is finished and it is very good. And like an artist who would sit down his brush and step back for a moment to admire what he has just put on canvas, so God takes delight in the finished work of creation, which was perfect, without blemish or stain of sin. When God declared it to be good, and all things to be very good, he doesn't just mean that they turned out all right, It means that they were perfect, exactly as he meant them to be, exactly as they should be. All things were very good, right, just right. And so God, resting from his work of creation, wasn't to recover, but to rejoice. God delights in the work of his hands. He delights in filling the void with life. He delights in the earth, which He formed out of nothing. He delights in the sun and the moon and the stars He created and hung in the sky for seasons and signs for us. He delights in the land He formed, in the oceans He set in place. He delights in the in the shrubs, in the plants, in the crawling animals on the ground. He delights in every winged creature that flies in the sky. He delights in every beast that walks on the earth. And he delights most of all in the crown of his creation, man. He's so delighted in creation that he enters into relationship with it. And he sets Adam and Eve together in paradise among the creation and gives to them the work of cultivating and sustaining and filling the earth with the delight of image bearers. He is not weary from his work, but is eager to rejoice in and celebrate over the creative work of his hands. And so... Later, when Moses comes on the scene and the law is given to Moses to give to to the people, the law comes to represent the kind of rest that God entered into on the 7th. Now, creatures like us need rest. We, fundamentally, are not like God. So we must rest. We must sleep. We must cease from our labors. We need to recover from our work. But the commandment in the Ten Commandments, the fourth there to keep the Sabbath holy, is also a call to rejoice in what God has done, not simply to recover from the six days of work. It was patterned after God's rest. And so the sign of the Mosaic Covenant comes to us to rest, to Sabbath by rejoicing in what God is doing and has done for His people. It's to trust. It's to depend. It's to celebrate. At the heart of Sabbath under the Mosaic covenant is joy. It's delight. It's rejoicing. So, the covenant that God enters into with Israel through Moses, the sign of that is the Sabbath rest that Israel was to enter into every seven days. Now, their Sabbath looked like certain rituals and certain acts of religious piety, and the form of that would change from time to time. But the call and the command was always the same, to rest, to cease from your labors, and to rejoice in the work and the provision of God. That was the sign of the covenant that God made with his people, with Moses, just as the rainbow is the sign of the covenant he made with Noah after he flooded the earth. Just like circumcision was the sign of the covenant that he made with people, that the promise of a blessing for all nations would come through Abraham. Sabbath became a sign of this beautiful covenant where God's people are called to rest and rejoice in who He is, how He has provided for them and to rejoice in the goodness of God in the relationship they had with Him through grace. Well, the problem at this point in Jeremiah is that they were neglecting the Sabbath. They've forsaken it, it says that they have turned away from God and His ways. And when Israel and when Judah abandons and neglects the Sabbath, the sign of the covenant, signaling that they have no need for God's provision, no desire to walk in the ways and the commandments and the statutes of God, shirking off the responsibility as covenant partners, God puts them under shame. They are to be ashamed. Shame always follows abandonment and neglect of duty and command. When the responsibility of God's covenant people is to, among other things, keep the Sabbath holy, and that was abandoned and neglected, shame falls upon the nation. And the only path forward is to return and to recover the Sabbath, through repentance, to seek and restore the joy of knowing God and being known by God. Shame must give way to honor and to glory. And the means by which they are to recover that joy, to reestablish honor and glory, is the Sabbath. Because at the heart of the Sabbath is delight and pleasure in God. And this is what Judah has abandoned. Well, what we're going to do this morning is consider our own approaches to the Sabbath today. Now, I won't get into the theological debates about what the Christian Sabbath may or may not be. I want to define for you simply what I mean by Christian Sabbath in the context of this sermon. When I speak of the Christian Sabbath, I don't necessarily mean a law that we must keep that every Sunday or every particular day, one in seven, has to be set aside a certain 24-hour period that we do particular things. This morning when I speak of the Christian Sabbath, I'm talking about the Christian's duty to delight in God and seek our rest and our provision in Him. So however the theological debates we enter into lead us in terms of a particular day or time or period or interval of coming together, what I mean this morning by Christian Sabbath is the Christian's duty to rejoice in God, to rest in Him, and to find our joy in resting in Him. Three ways we must approach the Sabbath today. First, we must approach the Sabbath as refreshment. We must approach the Sabbath today as refreshment. Look at verses 12 and 13. Here we have this sort of poetic form as Jeremiah speaks here on behalf of Israel. He says, A glorious throne set on high from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. The sanctuary being, of course, the, the room in the temple by which we come and we enter into worship with God. Verse 13 says, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be put to shame, for those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth. That is, they will be like dust, for they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. We must approach the Sabbath today as a source of refreshment for the Christian soul. This refreshment we come to receive when we Sabbath, when we come to the Lord as a source of joy that we would delight in and rest in, this Sabbath and refreshment must be rooted in praise. The Hebrew, literally behind verses 12 and the first part of 13, reads more literally O glorious throne, O high place from the beginning, O place of our sanctuary, O hope of Israel, Lord. You can see that this is an overwhelming overflow of praise for God. O glorious throne. O high place from the beginning. O place of our sanctuary. O hope of Israel, Lord. He says even in verse 14 that you, Lord, you are my praise. You are not simply the object of our praise, but that you are my praise, he says. So refreshment, delight in God, is rooted in praise for and of God. Why? Because God alone is the source of life and joy. Notice how Jeremiah describes God there in the end of verse 13. The Lord is the fountain of living water. He is the fountain of living water. When we are called to Sabbath to come to God, it is a calling to delight in God as we drink from and slake our thirst in the well of God of God's grace and abiding love. Because He is the fountain, the source of living water, we come to God to seek refreshment, to be rejuvenated in mind and body and in soul. Because He is the source of life and the fountain of all living water, we come to drink from the deep well of His abiding grace that we would never thirst again. This becomes in an experience the beautiful cycle, week in and week out, of gathering together or in reading the scriptures or finding time to pray where we seek refreshment in the presence and the joy of the Lord. And the deeper the well from which we drink is, the more we are to come back again and again. And the more that we come back, the more our joy is sustained. And the more that our joy is sustained, the more we come back. He is the source of all life and all joy, our refreshment and our rest. He is the sanctuary. Where God is, there is our peace. There is our rest. There is our life. And so, to seek the Sabbath as refreshment, we must come to drink from the deep well of God's abiding grace. The rejection of God, as Judah and Israel have displayed in their own unwillingness and hard-heartedness to come to Him, the rejection of God as good is the denial of sustaining joy. It's to refuse water in the desert. It's to refuse a shield in battle. It's to refuse a bounty in the midst of famine. So brothers and sisters, when we consider the Sabbath, the Christian Sabbath, our duty to delight in and rest in God, we do so under the command to refresh our souls in the peaceful presence of God. We must rest in the hope of God's life-giving word and his promises. We are to rejoice in the praising of God as a tender father and as a matchless king. We must approach the Sabbath as refreshment today. Now friends, don't be content with coming for spoonfuls of rest. You should come and lap up the mercies of God in Christ, drink deeply the pleasures of God, come and fill up your cisterns with joy and of rest, bring your buckets to church, for too often we view God as the source of our labor and not of our rest, for only when we've come to know Him as our rest, and we've entered into our rest through Christ, will our labors then be light, and our work A true joy. And so we must accept the invitation and heed the command that Jesus gives to his disciples in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There you will find in the heart of Christ rest for your souls because his burden is light. There is no sacrifice in the presence of God and in the delight of Christ. As Paul says, everything he's ever done and accomplished is not a sacrifice if he gains Christ. It is both an invitation to come to Christ to rest and a command. Many of us only view this as an invitation that we may accept or deny. We come to when we need it, but rest of the week we are on our own but it is both an invitation and a command to come to Christ. He says, come to me, and you will find rest. Come to me, and the labor and the heavy burdens you have carried will be loosened. The yoke that he puts upon us is light. So light it is a non-yoke. So light that all the burdens of our life are joys, There are no sacrifices, only pleasure with God. We must come to understand that your coming here to church is as a consumer. Now, many pastors will tell their church, you shouldn't come to church to consume. You must come to church to give, not just to get. In one sense, of course, this is true. If you've never served, if you never give of yourself to others, then it may be indeed that you have not truly understood what you have received. But brothers and sisters, I want to tell you, you must come to church ready to receive. You must come to church to get. What you receive is not some extra intellect and reading the Bible, not some spiffy new song. It is the rejoicing and the refreshment and the rejuvenation of your soul in the presence of Christ. Come, sing, pray, read, read, receive as nourishment for your souls, as refreshment for your weary pilgrimage. That's what the Sabbath is for the Christian. It is as refreshment. And Jeremiah wants to remind Judah that they have turned away from the source of living water. Earlier in the scroll, he has called them broken cisterns, constantly leaking out this living water and trying to fill it with water that does not satisfy, water that does not lead to life. But we have in Christ a deep well of refreshing joy. And so when we come, we come not just with small spoonfuls, but come with your mugs and your buckets. Come and fill up your souls with the refreshing joy of knowing God. At the heart of Sabbath, after all, is rejoicing. And so we must approach, firstly, the Sabbath as refreshment. Secondly, we must rejoice and approach the Sabbath as refuge. We must come to approach the Sabbath as refuge. It goes on again poetically in verses 14 to 18 to talk about how we are to seek God, come to Him, and in Him find our refuge. Heal me, he says in verse 14. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me and I shall be saved, for you are my praise. When others say to me, where is the word of the Lord? Someone sarcastically, with scorn and mockery. He says, I haven't run away from you. I haven't stopped trying to be the shepherd you have called me to be. I haven't shrunken away, nor have I desired the day of sickness, the judgment that would come. For you know, O Lord, what has come out of my lips. It was before your face. I have been faithful, he says, in the midst of my ministry. Do not be a terror to me, for you are my refuge, he says. In the day of disaster. Let those who put shame who persecute me, let those who who persecute me, let them be dismayed, not me. Let them taste disaster and destruction, not me. When we approach the Sabbath as refuge, as Jeremiah demonstrates here, we come because we are protected in the shelter of the Almighty. We are protected from those who seek our destruction. We may have good friends, friends who are with us in the fight of faith. We may also have friends who are on the other side of salvation, who indeed do love us and share an affection for us. But we also have enemies in the world. We have unseen enemies and forces that are at work in our culture, in our society. Even the members of our own bodies at times wage war against the spirit within us, who seek to destroy us and undermine the grace and the joy we have in Christ. In the shelter of the Almighty, when we come as Sabbath rest as a refuge to God, we find our shelter in Him from those who would seek our destruction. Friends, if you as a pilgrim do not feel broken and bruised and worn out from your pilgrimage, you might not be doing it right. You must come to seek God as a refuge, both broken and bruised from the battle of faithfulness in your life. Let us be tired at the end of the day. From being faithful when the world around us tempts us to faithlessness, to being bold when we are tempted to shrink away. Let us find a refuge that is safety, insecurity, in God Himself. It says that you are our refuge, not our homes that we come to at night. It's not the comfy PJs we put on at the end of the day, or the warm cup of coffee that is our refuge. It's not the video games we play to simply blow off some steam. It's not the round of golf we play because we think we've enjoyed it and just need some time. That one's for me. Our refuge is Christ. Our refuge is in God Himself. We are to seek Him for safety and security. So when we talk about the Christian Sabbath today, we come not only to refresh our souls by drinking from the deep well of His joy and grace, we come to have safety and shelter from the storm of unbelief that rages on constantly around us. We find safety from the scorn of the world. Look in verse 15. When they say, behold, they say to me, where is the word of the Lord? Let's have it. Let's hear it. Come on. They mock Jeremiah because of his ministry of faithfulness. Have you been mocked for your faith lately? Have you been made fun of because you've prayed before a meal or because you've given up a Sunday brunch because you've made church or you've given up a weekend to join with some brothers in worship instead of spending time with others. The scorn of the world will tempt us but we must come to God as our safety and our refuge. We not only seek refuge from the scorn of the world but we must also seek refuge from the temptation to quit. In verse 16, he says, I haven't shrunk back. I haven't run away from being the shepherd that you've called me to be. I haven't sought the, the destruction and the sickness of your judgment upon them. I haven't desired that and delighted in it, but neither have I shrunk back from the calling to which I've been called, though the temptation to quit is there. Have you been a weary pilgrim? Just wondering, is this worth it? The temptation to quit is very real. The longer we spend in the world, the more our resources will become exhausted. And if we do not come to God as a refuge and a place of refreshment, then we will be tempted to give it all up. It will be easier to go with the tide than to constantly stand against it. But friends, you must come to God. You are here this morning, I hope, that we have received refreshment, rest, and refuge in God so that you may go back out into the world unfailing and unrelenting in your faithfulness to God. But you come to God not only to seek refuge from the score of the world and the temptation to quit, but also from the fear that ultimately your efforts will fail. But you can come to God and pray as as your refuge that those who persecute you will be handled in due time, that God will bring about the vengeance and the vindication according to His will, that those who seek our destruction and that which works against us and rebellion against God will not prevail against us and that your labors will not be offered in vain. Your failure is not ultimately what will rule you. And so, brothers and sisters, your call here as you Sabbath to God is to weary yourself in battle. Your hands spiritually must be calloused by wielding the sword of the Spirit that is the word of God against the enemy. Your arms must be heavy with the shield of faith by which you deflect the fiery darts of the evil one who works against you. Your shoulders must be tired from carrying the breastplate of righteousness in which you try to walk. Your body must be weary under the weight of the full armor of God that you put on every day as you go in faithfulness before God in the world. Weary yourself in battle, and then come to God for safety. We do this not because we are strong. We don't do this in the power of our own will or strength, but we do this because God has promised to fight with us and for us. We fight not on the power of our own strength, but under the banner of victory that He has secured already. And so, brothers and sisters, do not shrink back from the work you have been called to do, because you have a sure place of refuge. You have a Sabbath in God who is for you rest and refuge. So work, battle, leave it all out on the field and then come to God as your refuge to recover, to recharge, and then re-engage. So we approach the Sabbath as refreshment and as refuge and lastly we are to approach the sabbath as restoration. We must seek God and delight in God and come to God as the source not only of refuge not only as refreshment but as the source of our refuge or our restoration. This is what he says in verses 19 to the end. And here he specifically speaks of the sabbath and he reminds them That they must return to and recover the Sabbath. Because the observance of the Sabbath, remember, is this tangible demonstration of trust and dependence upon the Lord. Particularly in an uncertain time, like famine or captivity. It was to put all of the trust and dependence upon the Lord, economically, physiologically, to trust God. It was this tangible demonstration as a sign of the covenant to put all of your trust and dependence upon the Lord. And so to keep the Sabbath day holy, which is the command, means to set it apart, to sanctify it, to consecrate it, or to devote it fully to the worship of God, to the delight in, and the celebration of God. And so the neglect of the Sabbath was a clear sign of Judah's rejection of God's lordship. It signaled that they no longer delighted in God. They no longer rejoiced in His Lordship. But obedience to the command, to recover the Sabbath, to obey it and to observe it, would be a sign that they understood the place of God's preeminence over all of their life. And they would commit and devote the entire day to Him. And friends, the Sabbath was less about the rules, the do's and the do nots, even though here the instruction is don't take the load into the gates, don't take it out from your house, don't do all this work, because people would come and they'd set up the market in the, in, the, in, the, in the temple and they would begin doing some work and they would try to make a little bit of money, but they were called to cease from their labor and come and worship God. But it was not about the rules, it was about the heart. Were they trusting in God? Were they depending upon God? Were they delighting in God as a source of living joy? This is what the Sabbath was all about, and that's what it is today. And consider verses 25 and 26. He says that there you should enter by the gates. If you do this, if you keep it, all of this work, if you do this, then there shall enter by the gates of this city kings and princes, who sit on the throne of David. It is this procession of Davidic rulers, just as God had promised, of which we read in 2 Samuel this morning. They and all their officials, the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the city shall be inhabited forever. And all the people shall come from the cities of Judah and around Jerusalem, and all from the land around them, even the low countries and the foothills, and they shall come and offer sacrifices and worship God. See, obedience to God in this way, to come to God for the restoration of their joy, will ensure the covenantal blessings would continue to flow unhindered. So for Judah, returning to a proper observance and a sacred devotion to the Sabbath would bring about the restoration of the city, which looms under the threat of destruction. It comes and brings about the promise of the restoration of the city and the temple all according to the promises of God. Instead of shame and dishonor, Judah would experience the greatest glory and the greatest honor as the city of God's dwelling place in the covenantal love of a father for his children. However, like Judah, Judah like their ancestors. As we see in verse 23, Judah was stubborn, They were hard-hearted in their rebellion. And so God eventually would cut them off from receiving the blessings that he swore to their fathers. That's what it says in verse 27. If you don't listen to me, if you don't keep the Sabbath day holy, you don't keep it holy by not bearing a burden and by entering the gates on the Sabbath day, I will kindle a fire in its gates and it shall devour the places of of Jerusalem and shall not be quenched. This is the inevitable result of those who persist in rebellion against God, who do not come to God for rest, but persist in their own work, who do not come to revive their souls, but feast on the poison in the rotten fruit of the world. Those who do not come to God for safety and refuge, but lay down their arms against their enemies and join them instead. Instead of being restored to glory and honor as God's covenant people, Judah, like their fathers, were in danger of losing the covenant promises. But friends, the Sabbath day is not kept through our ritual or our religious piety. It is kept by Jesus himself. Jesus perpetually keeps the Sabbath for us, By fulfilling it. He comes and He completes what the Sabbath is. He's fulfilling its sanctifying and sacred purpose of signaling to God and to the world that we are His and we belong to Him. That's what the Sabbath was meant to do. To signal to God and to the world that we are His and belong to Him. And Jesus fulfills this purpose. It signals that we trust Him wholeheartedly and we devote our lives to His Lordship. And so because Christ is our rest and we are called to come and rest in him as our Sabbath, because Christ is our rest and he is our source of refreshment and delight, and because he is our refuge and the source of our security and comfort, he will secure for us our restoration and our freedom from the heavy cost of slavery to sin and idolatry. Jesus fulfills for us the purpose and the promises of Sabbath. By securing for us the restoration and freedom from the slavery to sin and idolatry. So, like Judah, we are called to come to God and delight in Him, to rest in Him, not through the particular keeping of rules or burdens, not through the religious piety or practices, not through the particular forms of our worship, but in the heart of delighting in and finding joy in him. Not simply for what he's done, but for who he is. So we are called then as Christians to Sabbath. There is a Christian Sabbath, a rest, a place of restoration, refreshment, and refuge that we must labor to come into. That we must, in our lives and in our church, make a commitment A sacred commitment to participate in as often as we are able. Not one particular day in seven, not by particular forms of worship, but by the very act of delighting in and treasuring Christ as our God. We come to him as the source of living water. We drink from the deep well of his grace. We rest. We are recovered. We are restored. So when commitment and devotion to Christ are neglected, shame falls upon the people of God. When you neglect the Sabbath before God, to delight in Him, to come to Him for your rest and refuge, there is shame that is its result. Our strivings, when we fail to come to God as our rest, as Christ is our Sabbath, our strivings and our labors are burdensome. They're heavy upon us. There is no rest. There is no place like Christian in the Pilgrim's Progress that can loosen the burden we carry on our back. All of our work is fruitless like Adam after he's expelled from the garden and our lives are without sustaining and abiding joy despite the fleeting pleasures of God of this world we have from time to time. But when we come to Christ for rest, we come to Christ for refuge, we find that our joys... They're returned to us. As the psalmist says in praise, restore to me the joy of my salvation. When we come to church and we see in the word and in the songs and in the fellowship that we are together resting and receiving recovery from the Lord, our joys are returned. Our lagging strength from the work of the weak is renewed within us and our hope is restored. We look to Christ who is our hope. So brothers and sisters, we begin and end in the same way with the recognition that you and I need to be restored because the the, the havoc, sin wreaks on our soul and our hearts and our bodies and in this world. Come to Christ for the restoration of your souls. The Sabbath is for you, Christian. But it is not something you do or something that you perform. It is something you receive because Christ is your Sabbath. And as you rejoice, your soul finds its rest in him in whom you rejoice. That is the call of the Christian life. Do you see now how this has the the possibility of shaping and completely altering how you live your faith out in a world which is constantly berating you with temptations to rest elsewhere, to tie up your, your horse at some different place, To loosen your burden and drink from a well that is poisoned by sin, to fill up your cup with pleasures that do not last. Christ becomes for us the Sabbath, the place of our refreshment, the place of our refuge, and the source of our restoration. Like Jeremiah calls Judah to do, we must recover the Christian Sabbath and in it find the pathway to hope and joy and restoration for the Christian life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the true word and the true rest we have in Christ, not in our own labors, but we rest from our labors, and we, we, we rest particularly in your labor for us, that you have done it all, and so we receive it. And because we are rested, because we find refreshment as we drink through the well, of great joy and mercy as we have refuge from the weariness of the world because we are restored. Our joy is restored. Our strength is restored. Our our willingness and our faithfulness is restored as we come and we drink from this well. All then the labor and the work of our week and our lives, they're not burdensome. They're not fruitless. They're filled with contentment and joy. Our lives are glorifying to you because we are delighting in you. And so we rest as you have commanded us to rest. Not by the refusal to do certain things or take certain actions or by the constraints we put on ourselves to only be one way or another, but by simply coming to you both in spirit and in truth here at church or in, at the table with our children and our families in the opening up of your word in the prayer that we offer and our drive to work In the delight we take in serving others, we come to you as our rest. We come to you as our Sabbath. And we enter into the rest that has been secured for us by Christ. And we walk as those who have received rest as we labor joyfully in your service for your glory. We pray now and give thanks to you as always in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Mm All sermons are released under a Creative Commons, non-commercial, no derivative 3.0 license. If you would like to learn more or listen to past sermons, please visit us at foundationfxbg.com. I walk through the valley of death and death.